Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Dot edu slash podcast. You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. What are you getting so crazy about? It's just music. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I are going to talk to singer-songwriter Jill Sobiel about her new fan-funded album. Plus, we'll review the new records from the alt-country favorites The Handsome Family and legendary multi-instrumentalist Booker T. Jones. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Away, 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 come live the life, the life we love. Away, 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 adventures waiting for you. Come on, ye brave young buccaneers, come live the life, the pirate's life. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come live the life we love. With a sword in each hand, we're off to see faraway lands. Away, 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 come live the life we love. Yes, Jim, four of the most notorious pirates, at least in the record industry's eyes, apparently are going to jail. A Swedish court has just found four men who are behind the BitTorrent tracker website, The Pirate Bay, guilty of copyright infringement. They've been sentenced to a year in jail, and they have been fined the equivalent of $3.5 million. What these four men did in creating this uh, website, thepiratebay.org, was essentially create a worldwide aggregator, a menu, as it were, of all the best available entertainment media content on the web. So, in other words, not just music, but TV shows, software, ebooks, PC games, movies. Like Amazon.com, but everything is free. <laughs> yeah, essentially so. People would go on these websites and they would get high quality, high speed downloads of just about anything you could possibly want. And these guys are basically saying, well, we're just, we're just doing what Google does. We're providing a conduit to this material. We're not creating it. We're not soliciting it. We are not saying 
that we're behind it. We're not profiting from it. We are merely the conduit to this material. We're just posting the links. And the judge and jury said, no way. You guys are pirates. You're going to jail. You've got to pay this fine. They are planning on appealing. This is going to go on for at least several more months. But it is probably the single biggest court case yet regarding Internet file sharing. You know, it's always worth pointing out as we cover this story that nobody still really knows if the quote-unquote shoplifters in the eyes of uh, the recording industry and of Hollywood are stealing everything and then not buying things. We referenced originally in 2006 a Canadian study that found that uh, 73% of the people who say that they download free music also regularly buy free Mm -hmm. music. Now, perfectly timed to this Breaking Pirate Bay uh, story, there's a study from the BI Norwegian School of Management of 1,900 Internet users over the age of 15. And according to this study, uh, the people who download music for free bought 10 times as much legal music as those who never download music illegally. <laughs> the results, according to the people who put the study together, you know, make it clear that people seem to be sampling the music when they download it for free, and then they purchase things they really like, or they're just dabbling in something they download but buying music that they love. The Norwegian record industry responded through a spokesman. I quote, the results make it seem like free downloads stimulate paid downloads, but there's no way to know that for sure. Of course, the inverse is also true. Mm-hmm. There's no way not to know. <laughs> right. you know uh, is a new generation treating a free download the way you would treat a song you hear on the radio? Is this an appetizer for me to go out and purchase an album I really like? You know, it is shocking to me that after uh, what is now a five or six year intensive legal war against people downloading music for free, no one still really knows if these people are pure shoplifters <laughs> or, you know, if they're going into Target and, and stealing a lipstick but also spending 200 bucks while they're there. That's just one thing. That's a little bit of Lily Allen from her second album, It's Not Me, It's You, which uh, premiered through an exclusive stream on MySpace Music. Lily Allen, of course, uh, will forever be associated with MySpace because it's what made her a star and got her her first recording contract. A couple of months ago, a veteran of the major label recording industry came in to revamp MySpace Music as a joint venture with the big labels. The onus is now on MySpace to try to start making some money from all that music Mm -hmm. that is streaming for free. I mean, I've got to say, but I I think you would agree, MySpace has become an invaluable tool. The fact that you can can pretty much look for a page for any band in the universe and hear a couple of their full tracks for free. Absolutely. It is a great tool. I think when you're talking about a band that you've never heard of before, the the go-to site is is now MySpace. What are they all about? You'll go to that MySpace page, and you'll get a relatively high-quality stream of just about any band you can name. The problem is MySpace isn't making any money. (laughs) Its revenue is estimated to be nearly three times Facebook's at about $585 million in 2008, But that's not enough for Rupert Murdoch, whose News Corp bought MySpace for $580 million in 2008. 
in 2005, but has yet to eke out more than a meager profit. Of course, meager for Rupert is, is relative. Yeah. Facebook is on the rise. It's become, it has passed MySpace to become the number one networking site. But as you said, for bands, MySpace is still the place to go. What's MySpace want to do? It's overhauling its uh, homepage to promote album releases and tours. And it's linking to spotlighted albums for purchase on Amazon. And they are getting a cut of anything that somebody buys from Amazon now uh, at MySpace. The bigger plan for the long term is to begin selling ads, and MySpace is looking now at selling concert tickets and band merchandise while targeting uh, songs, ringtones, and, and artists to people who would seem to be interested in them, using that social networking component of MySpace to uh, you know figure out exactly what you ought to buy. Yeah. Well, you know, what it is, it's, it's turning into another record company, one of those 360 deals in action. It's gone from this free model, you know, come, come and look at our stuff, find out about these bands, go to the band's website to purchase the stuff. Now it wants to become the beneficiary of all that attention and say, you know, some of this money should be coming to us and the record companies who are backing some of this music. Well, and that's fine. You know, if they're going to, you know, stream the Lily Allen record or U2 made a big deal out of streaming No Line on the Horizon on MySpace and you think you're going to help U2 sell more U2 albums, fine. <laughs> but it would be a shame to lose that component of MySpace as the free repository of any band in the world that just wants to put some songs up. I remember laying down, it was 1983, under the tree while listening to London calling or something like that. 23 years later, I'm here at a meeting, trying to impress someone at a dying record company. I got nothing to prove. And in walks in the sullen girl who looks like she's 19 or wants to be with her biker boots and her hair dyed black. Did that look so many years ago? She looks at me like I'm some square or I'm like her mother. We love for kid, I got nothing to prove. Nothing to prove. That is a little bit of nothing to prove from the new album California Years by Jill Sobiel, a wonderful singer and songwriter born in Denver, Colorado, really rose to national prominence in 1995 with the first big hit, I Kissed a Girl, and has come up with a really interesting way to fund her new recordings, asking fans to contribute, as they would to public radio, some sum to help her go into the studio and make wonderful music. Jill Sobiel came by when she was in town with her good buddy, a former Saturday Night Live comedian, Julia Sweeney. They do something called the Jill and Julia Show, and Jill, of course, plays on her own as well. We had a, a great chat with her, and she played some songs for us in the Jim and K Maybe studio. Once I was as miserable as you We're here in the Jim and Kay Maybe studio with two guests, Jill Sobiel and uh, Julia Sweeney. Welcome to the show, ladies. Hi. Hello. So we are going to focus in at first on Jill because she's got a new record coming out that she put out in very unusual fashion. And later on, we're going to bring in Julia to talk about how they're collaborating together. But Jill, we are... The last time we spoke to you uh, was about a year and a half ago, and you had this cockamamie scheme. You created a website and solicited fan donations 
to, uh, for your next record. At the time, it seemed like a huge experiment for you. What were you thinking, and how did it work out? Well, f- first of all, I had nothing to lose. The idea of, of trying to get another record deal mm-hmm. you know, was ridiculous. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the times, the you know, economic times now and the record labels the way they are. But I wanted to put out another record, and I had a great new batch of songs, but personally had no money. So I thought, go to the fans and and ask them to help out, not just record it, but to, to put it out and do everything a label's supposed to do. But I didn't want to just ask them for it. I wanted to give them something in return. So I made up a list of, of for different donation levels, everything from free digital download to I'll put your name in my uh, liner notes to I'll write you a theme song, which I just I just I just finished doing twenty theme songs. Yeah. How do you come up with twenty individual theme songs? Well, I did five different kinds of music. I did one kind of. 007 spy one, one mm-hmm. that sounded like the Cheers theme, one that was kind of like like really bad Norwegian speed metal, and wow. then I had a f- folky kind of indigo girl one, and then I had, I don't know, some sort of strange country one, and I figured out which one would be best. And did, I, you, did you like do mini interviews with these people who had donated? I asked them to give me a couple paragraphs, mm. and the one I liked the best was the kind of beat poetry one. Mm-hmm. I even got uh, one from, I, you know, I got a donation from the guy who is the host of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So I, I wrote on his, you're, uh, you're really famous, but you're not a dick. You know, <laughs> that's how his began. So, that's so, great. To, so to recap, this was you got donations from fans that ranged from a few dollars to up to I, I think there was at least one that was over ten thousand dollars, right? Yes, to sing on my record, uh, mm. a woman from the UK, Joe Pottinger. What was great about her was she was not a, a, a wannabe singer. She was just someone that got into some money. She was a <laughs> software developer and a fan, mm. and she came and she was just so non nonplussed about the whole thing and she she did such a great job um so within two months you reached your goal at the time you're saying i'm gonna try to raise seventy five thousand dollars which seemed like a lot of money and you reached it within two months right was that surprising to you yeah to tell you the truth i uh thought it could have been really uh humiliating and pathetic you know Mm. it could have been Mm-hmm. My mom and some cousins and a few fans, and that would have I would have decided to maybe do something else with my life. But <laughs> it ended up being uh, re- really wonderful, and also just to to connect to to the fans and to to you know hear their responses and to keep the contact, not just have them give me the donation. We're going to keep talking about this record, but it is out imminently uh, called California Years. Do you want to play a song from it, Joel? Or sure. Um, let me get my capo on. Went to the desert on a mission to have a vision or write a song. I left real early, I left my cell phone. I took the Prius, it gets good mileage, something's gonna happen to change my world. 
on the highway. I pass the windmills. I pass the outlet stores. Soon I'll find the sacred places I've been searching for. Horses, hawks circling, grandpa's son's inspiration, big cactus, coyotes, something's gonna happen to change my. When I got there to the motel, it was different than on the website. It was crowded, mostly seniors. There was a ball band playing "Bad Bad Leroy Brown," so I went hiking. It was so barren.
That is Palm Springs by Jill Sobiel, live on Sound Opinions. Coming up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, Greg and I continue our conversation with Jill, and later on we review the new albums from musical legend Booker T. Jones and the alt-country duo The Handsome Family. She shuts the door behind me, waits for me to get undressed. She asks if I need water, I can barely understand her. Asked me what I do, and I said that I'm a singer. She laughs and claps her hands, and then she begins. She sings, I like to go. Just like a wrestler She needs and pulls and climbs on top It hurts, but I will try to take it Ask her if she's ever been All alone in my head, empty glass by the bed, all the tears turn to stone, and I feel so alone. Empty glass by the bed, you are cold, you are dead, and the room shrinking small. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Greg and I continue our conversation with Jill Sobiel, who is in town to perform the Jill and Julia show, something she does with comedian and writer Julia Sweeney, who hops into the discussion a little bit later. I asked Jill about how her new fan-funded record, California Years, didn't cut corners when it came to production. On the, on the record, Jill, uh, California Years, Volume 1, even though it was self-financed, you didn't cut any corners. Don was legendary producer, worked with Rolling Stones and, and Brian Wilson. Worked with, you, you had drummers like Jim Keltner, uh, <laughs> uh, session players like Greg Lees, the great pedal steel player. I mean, that's, you know, it's a pretty, pretty big thing. I mean, this wasn't a couple of people banging on pots and pans in your basement. No, you know, I had this amount of money, and I thought, to, to actually do what a label was. So I didn't want to use... I mean, I could have gone to my basement and yeah. used my Pro Tools. But I thought, you know, and I talked to Don, and everyone gave me the, the, the friend artist rate. Uh, yeah, but I right, thought, you right, know, right, this, right. this could be the last of the big studios, you know, going to Henson Studios. And, of course, they gave me the... You know, it's amazing Poison when you do this on your own. were made at Henson Studios, <laughs> Poi- right? Well, we were, I was in the same studio that the Carpenters... Uh, Carol King did Tapestry, and Poison did Every Rose Has Its Thorn. So I actually wanted probably like the last time I'll ever do something kind of grand, but I also wanted the sound of it for the California years. I wanted it to be all live, and the vocals that you hear are the vocals that were the rough vocals. And so, mm. and, and of course, going to a big studio, I didn't have the budget to be able to be there long, so there's not many overdubs, and you get what what we recorded live pretty much mm-hmm. you know that's uh, as Jim was saying earlier this uh, the new model of the, of the record industry may be taking effect with records like yours I think perhaps you being a better example of the future of the music industry because not many people are at the level of Radiohead or Nine Inch Nails which are kind of like the the 
you know, exhibit one examples for a lot of people. But most artists, I mean, you've had, maybe many people probably don't realize you've had a 20-year career. You've done this for a long time. You've been on, what, four labels now? Four labels, mm. yeah. When did you see the writing on the wall with this? When did you see the cracks in the well, armor? I think a while ago. I mean, my last two labels, the both went under. I mean, the, the, mm. it, it was a shame, too, because I really loved those records. And I, it was such, such a shame. You, you give this music over to these people. And and it didn't sell. Nothing happened with my last two records, and I loved them. And and you don't own them, so I thought worse comes to worse. You know, uh, you know. Today, if I, I I do this and I sell it on my website and I sell a thousand records, I've done so much better than I ever have. The way you've put this record out is is an example of of the kind of uh, excitement you can generate because. You're right. I mean, those last couple of records, nobody was talking about them. Uh, nobody even knew they were out, you know, it seemed like. And now your records are, you know, you're getting a huge amount of Because uh, the curators that are the industry, not like you guys who do a wonderful service, uh, but the curators are the ones who they think will sell as much as the last one. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. whatever the last, you know, I don't want to say, you know, whatever the next Disney artist is or, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Jonas Brothers, you can insult them. <laughs> Whatever the next Brothers. Jonas Brothers. I got a really stupid question, okay? But yes. I've been dying to ask you this. So when I first heard this big hit, I Kissed a Girl, everybody's talking about I Kissed a Girl, I Kissed a Girl. So I was like, somebody covered Jill's song? We had a drink, we had a smoke. She took off her overcoat. I kissed a girl. What did you think when you heard this Katy Perry? I subsequently found out Katy Perry's song is not your song. Well, a couple things. Someone said, hey, someone's covering your song. And, and I got a email saying the bold and the beautiful would like to give you, you know, 30000 to use your song. And no one's giving me any money. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And then, then like, the, later that afternoon, it was wah, 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 yeah. you know. Different and it's like, song. who is this? And, and um, it's this huge hit. Mm-hmm. And I don't begrudge her at all. I thought uh, the only thing I'll say is, is when I saw, you know, people, my friends are pissed, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, but uh, and, and people are always fans are sending me articles about her. And one was, yeah, she she came up with that lyric in her sleep one day. And, and <laughs> you know, and the thing is, is that maybe she did. But then you found out that it was really like it was her and. The Matrix, the writers, right, you know, right, they right. were pro writers, and of course they knew it. And the guy that signed her was the guy that signed me when uh, I did. Um, so, but um, but I'm just going to say I benefited from it because I'm sure that there were so many people that accidentally <laughs> bought and downloaded <laughs> and bought on iTunes my version. All right, but Jill, you keep kissing our butts telling us you love Sound Opinions. You know everybody's a critic on Sound Opinions. So buy it, burn it, trash it, Katy Perry's, just as a pure piece of music, no connection to you. What do you think of Katy Perry? As a critic, play critic for us. Play critic? Well, okay. Critic, it's it's catchy. It's, 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 it's like a... a a bug that you can't get rid of. <laughs> but it's catchy. It's got a good beat. Some people will say, 
you know, it, it, it was a lot different back in 95. There was no Ellen. Yeah. There was no L word. Right. And it was really trying to figure out how to put that into a, a pop song. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and subversive in a way where some people say that her version is how many hits can you get on your mice on your Facebook, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's more like a girl's gone wild kind of exactly. thing. <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say. But it is like a bug. Yeah. All right. All you right. can't escape it. That's somewhere between a burn it and a trash it. I'd <laughs> yeah, say. Right. <laughs> Being very diplomatic. I mean, Jill is still, you know, I mean, now that you're in California, you have to sort of be somewhat diplomatic, I would imagine. Although I love this record. It's a great concept record. Uh, I hate to use that term on you, but uh, there's a lot of songs here that sort of address the lifestyle. And uh, nothing to prove, to my mind, is, you know, the ultimate commentary uh, on the record business. I just want to say, nothing to prove. I mean, I'm an actress and not a singer, but just the whole idea of being in meetings with executives who are so much younger than you and all the feelings that you have about them and how you're reinforcing your own sense of self-worth and then you're also running into them at grocery stores later and it's all wrapped up in this fantastic song. I mean, nothing to prove is just the best. Well, you know what? Oh, we're, we, I'm you taking have... her to every interview. Yeah. I know it is. Oh, That's God, a heck of car. a roadie you have there. <laughs> telling you. That is like, what a setup. I, you know, uh, Jill, Julia would, just set up the song. I would mean, you like to hear it? Oh, you have to hear sure. it. I remember laying down. It was 1983. Under the tree while listening to London Calling or something like that 23 years later I'm here at a meeting Trying to impress someone at a dying record company I got nothing to prove And in walks in this sullen girl That looks like she's 19 or wants to be with her Biker boots and her hair dyed black Did that look so many years ago She looks at me like I'm some square Or I'm like her mother Well, you kid, I got nothing to prove Nothing to prove Nothing to prove Once I was as miserable as you Nothing to prove Nothing to prove I got nothing to prove Here I am in Los Angeles I came here three years ago And everyone's young and beautiful And their skin is so smooth And everyone's in the industry And I hate when they use that word And when they tell me they're in the industry I ask, oh, are you in steel? I got nothing to prove Nothing to prove Nothing to prove Once I was as miserable as you Nothing to prove, nothing to prove I got nothing to prove And later that week I saw that same girl Shopping at the Trader Joe's on La Brea She was with a big bone blonde And I wondered if it was her girlfriend Surprisingly she came up to me and smiled And said she loved our meeting I might have judged her wrong but usually I'm right. I got nothing to prove. Everybody, nothing to prove. Nothing to prove. Once I 
approve. <laughs> that was uh, Julia Sweeney on backing vocals. Yes. The, uh, the the roadie, Jill Jill Sabule's roadie. This is my roadie today. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting. Let's bring Julia into the conversation. You've yes. been doing some different kinds of shows. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The Jill and Julia show is one thing that that you guys have been doing. What is that about? Is half comedy, half music? Well, we're mutual fans of each other. We met each other at this conference, this TED conference in Monterey, and. We both were very excited to meet each other. And then it turned out that we lived like three blocks away from each other in L.A. (laughs) And so we started doing these shows at Largo in L.A. And we just started doing shows around. We've been everywhere doing it. And it's really it's really lovely. It's like Jill sings. I mean, to me, I just feel like I have the best seat in the house (laughs) (laughs) on stage with Jill. But basically, she's I tell stories that I'm inspired to tell based on her songs sort of is how it has gone yes and, and now we're doing it here it'll in Chicago. make you laugh it'll make you cry <laughs> i don't know if people will cry well there's been other things too jill what was the prozac and the platypus what is that project yeah that was off 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 broadway it was a, a musical someone asked me to a uh, wonderful playwright elise thorin to put music to a really strange kind of wonderful tale actually the university here did a uh Two nights of it, I came down really? in Chicago. Yeah, which university? It was fantastic. At Northwestern or University of Chicago? Oh, University of Chicago. Oh, wow, okay. and cool. it was it was so great to see. Uh, That's just the best title ever. I know Prozac and the platypus. And the platypus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's Prozac and the platypus dot com. People can hear the music and <laughs> see the story and. But but so you've been touring outside the box as well as recording outside the yeah. box. Are you going to do the big promotional tour behind this new album, California Years, though, with a band? Well, I, I hope to. Uh problem is that I don't have uh, tour support, but I've been adopting bands in different towns. And in New York, <laughs> I play with this great band called the Madison Square Gardeners. Oh, my God, they're so they cute. They played the last two and Julia We did the Julia show. show at the... Um, oh, the City Winery. Oh, City Winery. God, that's yeah, a great Yeah, they're a place. great Joe's band. Joe's Pub is great, too. But, oh, but they were so cute. <laughs> so when we come back here to Chicago and do Jill and Julia, I'd like to find some musicians and adopt as a band. And in New York, I'm playing... Next week and there, uh, next month and there's a band. Uh, do you know Ethel String Quartet? Oh, oh yeah, so yeah. Good. And oh, good. Uh, do you know? Have you heard of Sex Mob? Yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah, they said they would play with me. So I'm. Wow. I, I like playing with uh, bands that are just bands already, and I think that'll be my new thing. So how about another song, Jill? What do you think? Yes. Uh, what kind of song would you like to? I have sing? a. I have a vote. What? Wendell. Oh, Wendell. Yeah. Okay. Great song. This Wendell Lee. So this was really trying to figure out, trying to find the first person who I did it with. Mm. And, 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 you know, now, you know, now everyone at a certain age, everyone, you can find them. But Mm -hmm. I had a hard time finding Wendell Lee. And then (laughs) five hours later, I was on to all sorts of other people. Hey Wendell, where are you now? I searched online but nothing found I wonder what you've done and what you've become Wendell, you were the first for me We were both stoned at 17 After our date at the Denny's We got it on, we got it on It didn't last too long 
Hey Robin, I typed in your name. Nothing came up, so I'm afraid I'll never know exactly why you broke up with me. But it turned out okay. Met someone else on that same day. Her name was Jenny, and I wrote her that song. It didn't last too long. And the list goes on. These are some of the people that I I went out with before I met you. These are some of the people that I thought would be the one. Oh. Billy, my, how you changed! You lost your hair and gained that weight. I wonder if I look that bad too. Have you kept up with my career? Do you still wish that you were near? I hope that you regret you, my best friend, Marilyn. Now what do I do? Went on classmates and I found you. Do I pay extra for your address and phone? No, I leave it alone. I got a new love in my life. I think that this one could be right. If not, I'll add another verse to this song, and the list goes on and 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 on. Some of the people that I I went out with before I met you. These are some of the people that I thought would be the one. Hey Wendell, where are you now? Oh, Wendell Lee. Wendell Lee. Do you think if when this record comes out, maybe I'll maybe I'll find him? You know you're going to hear from him. Thank you, Jill Sabio, Julia Sweeney, for coming by Sound Opinions. It's a thrill. I love this show. Me too. To comment on our conversation with Jill Sobiel or share any of your critical opinions, give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800, or send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org. We're going to be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with reviews of the new albums from The Handsome Family and Booker T. Jones. It was a good, good life. Tomorrow we could all be gone. Russian gangsters sell the bomb And the waves come roaring from the sea A hundred foot swells over Venice Beach Well, don't be scared and take my hand 
was swimming to the promised land. It was a good life. It was a good, good life. It was a good life. It was a good, good life. As the stars rub against the dark skin of space, every planet is turning and calling your name. For hundreds of miles, the trees bend your way. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That's a tune called June Bugs from the new album by The Handsome Family, a group that you and I have been covering for quite some time, Greg. Since they formed in 1993, vocalist and guitarist Brett Sparks and his wife, bassist and lyricist Rennie, here in Chicago. We haven't been able to call them Chicagoans for some time. They moved to New Mexico in 2001, and now they have their ninth album just coming out, Honeymoon. Those are two separate words. <laughs> Honeymoon, a play on that. Uh, they have always been fascinated with the natural world. June bugs uh, would indicate that. But uh, where the natural world mimics love relationships, I think that's sort of a theme of their new album. Cult heroes in the alternative country scene for quite some time, but never big national stars. Despite uh, steady touring and great music, they're, they're kind of getting a new audience right now because Andrew Bird, who used to play on some of their albums mm-hmm. and would lend a little violin or, or whistling, whatever, has been covering them regularly, sometimes two songs a night on his current tour, which is playing big venues across the U.S. He's a major Handsome Family fan. Mm-hmm. I think anybody who's ever seen The Handsome Family is a fan. Think of a slacker Gen X photograph taken by Cindy Sherman of the couple in American Gothic, you know, the farmer and his (laughs) wife. That is Brett and Rennie. They recorded this new record as they have uh, most of the last couple in their living room in New Mexico. Let's play something from it and then give our thoughts on, on the new one, Honeymoon. This is a song called Linger, Let Me Linger by the Handsome Family on Sound Opinions. Like the thorn bush twines against the chain link fence Like the spider spins its rings between the trees And the lonely sycamore pins to the In the street Waiting for your falling leaves Twine your vines around me Drop your branches in my path Linger, let me
Man, I'm a sucker for that sound. That is a Linger, Let Me Linger, a song from the new Handsome Family record, Honeymoon. And I think it's an indication of what's going on in this album. Brett Sparks has become a real master of turning that home recording studio they have in their home in Albuquerque, New Mexico, into an instrument. They have gone from this ramshackle garage band to this kind of quaint little country duo to this really beautiful-sounding home recording project in the way that Brett has mastered these many instruments and and layered them in ways that create these beautifully lush pop songs. A lot of pre-rock-and-roll influences on this record. They've gone beyond that alternative country template to reference things like doo-wop, as you can hear in that song. That reminds me a lot of uh, the Ink Spots or the Platters, those great vocal groups from the, the 40s and 50s. Bluegrass, jazz, there's a little bit of Tin Pan Alley in here. So many props to Brett for taking the Handsome family into this new realm. But I think, again, the key to this band and what separates the Handsome family from just about every other band working in this genre is the lyricist Rennie Sparks. I think she's right up there with Dylan Leonard Cohen, Towns Van Zant. I really, seriously, am making that claim right now. People are sitting at home scratching their heads and Who? saying, they, what? Just, they just didn't say that some woman named Rennie Sparks, who I've never heard of, is on the level, level of Dylan or Leonard Cohen, did they? And yes, we're saying that. Yeah, and she, uh, on this record, she's tackling maybe the toughest subject of them all, which is, you know, the love song. I mean, how many love songs have been written in the last week, let yeah. alone the yeah. last 20 years? But they have done it in, in a way that, once again, is their own. The one song where she's talking about the mating rituals of the praying mantis, mm-hmm. where the female consumes the male in the in the act of doing it as a sort of a metaphor for human relationships it's beautifully done darling my darling your snapping fangs don't scare me I'll live on your spine and love you till you know me I mean, you could have played that for yucks and laughs. Right, Instead, right, right. they played pretty straight, and it's a pretty powerful piece of music. On the Buy It, Burn It, Trash It scale, I give the Handsome Family a buy it for this record. Absolutely, Greg. This is definitely a buy it. This is a unique band that, that everybody should hear. They, they should be much bigger than they are. They should be our generation's Sonny <laughs> and Cher. <laughs> Having said that, double buy it. I'll, I'll say go out and buy first 1998's Through the Trees yes, because that is the great. masterpiece. That is the album that defines them the way like Blonde on Blonde defined Bob Dylan and all the songs Andrew Bird's been playing, or many of them, have been coming from that record. Mm -hmm. But this is a great band that you need to know. 
that is the distinctive Hammond B3 organ of Booker T. Jones, uh, formerly of Booker T. and the MGs, the great Memphis soul group. He is back with a rare solo record called Potato Hole. As I mentioned, the backbone of the Memphis soul sound of the 60s put himself and the label on the map with a hit in 1962 called Green Onions, a great instrumental track that plays out across the closing credits for the movie American Graffiti, among other places. Backed up Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, every classic Memphis soul song of the 60s had some kind of input from Booker T and the band Steve Cropper, Duck Dunn, Al Jackson. Many consider the greatest uh, soul group of all time. When Bob Dylan did his 30th anniversary concert at Madison Square Garden, Booker T and the MGs were the backing group. When, when Neil Young went on tour in the 90s, he had these guys back him up, in addition to Crazy Horse on his various other tours. So they've been around. Booker T, at the same time, has had a, uh, an estimable career as a solo artist and a producer in particular. He was the guy who basically put Bill Withers on the map with his production in the early 70s. He worked with Willie Nelson on that amazing Stardust album. As I mentioned, Neil Young, Bob Dylan, all in his Rolodex, all friends, all incredibly influenced by what Booker T did in the 60s and 70s. Now he's back with this record, and it is a bit of a departure. Everybody thinks of uh, Booker T as the soul man. Here he's working with the drive-by truckers as his backing band, and Neil Young comes by to play some guitar. So it is a guitar-centric record for Booker T, a genuine departure for him. Let's hear a track from it before we review it. He does uh, a cover of Outcast Hey Ya, that big hit from 2003. Here's the Booker T. Jones touch on that particular track from the album Potato Hole on Sound Opinions. That is Booker T. Jones's cover of Outcast Hey Ya on Sound Opinions from uh, the first Booker T. Jones solo album in two decades. 
he hasn't been Russian to go to the studio and do this. <laughs> Although you and I talked to him at South by Southwest three years ago, did a long interview with him, and mm-hmm. he was gearing up for this career resurgence. This is an album that's coming out on Anti slash Epitaph Records, who have been masters in the last couple of years of bringing back people who deserve wider recognition, who don't have record deals elsewhere. Uh, Tom Waits, probably top of that list. Mm-hmm. There's a Waits cover on this record as well. This is a tradition. If you go back to the Booker T and the MGs records in the 60s, they would always cover a couple of popular songs of the day as instrumentals and put their touch on it. What you heard in Hey Ya was uh, Booker, you know, replacing Andre 3000's unique vocals with his Hammond B3. Mm-hmm. Sometimes on this record uh, that works and sometimes it doesn't because it is more guitar-centric. You don't always have a real focal point. A big point that Booker T made when he was talking to us was that, you know, I, I'm not just an organ player. Yeah. I've always played a lot of instruments, he mm-hmm. said, right? And that's great, but we love that organ the most, I think, and that's no insult, uh, uh, Booker. You know, you have Neil Young playing Neil Youngish guitar on nine of the ten tracks, and it's all a lot of fun, and the drive-by truckers give a nice stomp, and Booker T is wonderful to listen to, but it is a cliche in the album reviews I've seen so far. Everybody has to say there is no green onions on this record. Mm-hmm. There's no green onions on this record. <laughs> I say it's a burn-it record. Well, I think that what made Green Onion so haunting and why people still reference it 40 years later is uh, what an amazing song, but also what an amazing arrangement. And I think it set the blueprint for what everybody thinks of as Booker T. Jones and his sound. And that is a sense of restraint, the sense of groove, the sense of space. There was never a sense of any note ever being out of place, yeah. never overplaying, never bombastic. And that's what a lot of this record sounds like to me. A little overplayed, a little bombastic. I love guitars as much as anybody, but there's five guitars on some of these tracks, and I'm not sure that Booker T is a heavy metal kind of guy, you know? Yeah, right, right. I don't think he sounds good when he's cranking out the arena rock. All due respect, I mean, what a, what a great lineup. You would think on paper, drive-by truckers, Neil Young, Booker T. Jones, hmm, that's going to sound pretty cool. Or maybe it's going to sound like a train wreck. And unfortunately, it errs on the side of the train wreck for me. You know, it's just not a very persuasive record. There's not a single song that sticks in my head, and all I can think of is a, what a waste of talent. To my mind, it's a trash it record. A trash it record. Wow. I said burn it. Cot says trash it. Poor Booker. What do we got on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we are going to look at some of our favorite live albums of all time. Sounds good, Greg. As always, Sound Opinions was produced by the ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. Jill Sobiel was recorded by Mary Gaffney. And our executive producer, our fearless leader, a man it is rumored <laughs> that the Handsome family wrote the song Giant of Illinois for, is Tori Southside Malatia. Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. New messages. Hey, guys. This is Alyssa from New York, New York. Uh, listen to your show every week, and I'm a big fan. Um, I'm calling today about your examination of the literary rock. I just wanted to say that I enjoyed your picks and I, I 
thought you guys did a great job, but I was a little disappointed that you did not include any women. Uh, you include Patti Smith, but you include cover of something that she did. You know, there's a lot of great women songwriters out there, and I would have loved it if you just picked one. Next time, give a little shout-out to the ladies. Thanks, guys. Bye. I know you don't like weak women. You get bored so quick. And you don't like strong women because they're hip to your tricks. It's been dirty for dirty down the line. But you know, I come when you whistle and you're loving and kind. If you've got too many doubts, if there's no good reception for me, then tune me out. Because honey... Hi, my name is Caitlin Goble. I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It is April 17th at night. I am actually just pulling out of our local record store in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I just finished listening to your segment on Record Store Day. And I thought it was an awesome segment. Um, my boyfriend is a DJ in our town. He's in a local rock band. And tomorrow, as last year, his rock band will be playing at our record store, and it's just a great time all around. I think everybody I know always shops at our local record store. We don't even bother going to any chain stores or buying online because you can't get the help you need. One of my favorite bands I was given a demo for by a clerk at a record store seven years ago, and it's been my favorite band ever since. So I just wanted to say thank you for having a great show and kind of showing the world, I guess, that record stores really are important because I probably wouldn't listen to as much music as I do today if it weren't for local record stores. Hi, guys. My name is Mark. I live in Chicago, and I just got done listening to your show, which I love, by the way. I just wanted to say that um, I also notice uh, my kids buying a lot of vinyl these days, and it's kind of interesting to see them trying to get back in touch with the vinyl experience that I had when I was younger. And also tied into that is um, one of my first experiences here in Chicago was Wax Tracks Records. I moved here to go to school from Indiana, um, and Chicago was a pretty scary place back then. I remember uh, the first time I went to Wax Tracks, I heard uh, Money, the rendition by the Flying Lizards, and um, that sort of started me on a music buying journey, and uh, Wax Tracks sort of became the center of my universe for the next uh, four years. Thanks again. Uh, always great to hear your show. in life for free but you can give them to the birds and bees I want money Give us your opinion on Sound Opinions. 
call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Hey,